0: Hello and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, where every week we ask one of our favorite comedians to pick one of their favorite topics and then together we trace its entire history to find out exactly what ruined it. I'm joined as always by Wen Powers. Wen, what are we talking about this week? Today we
1: are talking about The Simpsons with Joe Quazala and I love jo- I love Joe Quazala. I was trying not to nerd out. I was trying not to nerd out because I love his videos so much. Uh, he has a great podcast about the rock and roll hall of fame he has a comedy central half hour and he also just dropped 21 new comedy videos that he just he just Threw them out there. He releases them all, at once. Releases them all at once. He just releases them all at once. Like, he's like Netflix. He's just like, here's all that content I've been holding out on you guys and just drops it and then leaves and makes a bunch more and then does it again. It's fucking phenomenal <laughs> every time.
0: It is. He's one of those comedians whose videos I consistently make my girlfriend watch. Not that she doesn't enjoy them, but it's like, no, there's a video you have to see right now because this is so good. And Joe is fantastic. I'm so glad he could come on. He
1: has one about like, he has one about Charles Manson, where it's a trailer for a biopic about no one believing that he could kill people <laughs> and then rising to the occasion. And it's phenomenal. Like it, it hits everything where it's just like, hey, you can't murder people. You're just little Charlie <laughs> Manson. And it's it's so fucking good. I love him so much. I'm so glad he agreed to do this podcast and to talk about one of my favorite things.
0: The Simpsons. It was a pop culture thing that I actually knew something about. I was so excited to have him here and he knew this stuff so well. Uh, it was it was amazing just to listen to him talk about this. But we got to cover so much. We got through, of course, the history of how this came to be our favorite episodes. And then finally, what went, what went wrong with it?
1: But yeah, we're, we're going to get into, get all, of into all of it. I just got to say, I'm glad that we record this part last. Uh, so it's kind of like a surprise for our guests when they find out how much I love them.
0: Right. Normally, when when and I just do this after the show, after our guest leaves and we go, oh, my God, this was so exciting. I can't believe we got to meet them. Now we're doing it publicly. This was such a good idea that that Wen had. I never even thought of this. <laughs> all the
1: good ideas are mine. All the smart things that are said are Andrews.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, that's I mean, that is, I think, a really good summation of this show. So let's get into it. Joe Quazala, thank you so much for joining us today. i was so excited to have you on. I know I've been a fan of yours for a while and was so happy you could say yes to this.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Thank you for asking.
0: Me. And I know you have your own show too. Who cares about the Rock Hall? That's correct,
2: yes. I, I have my own podcast about a very niche subject but one that I can talk about at length, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
0: Which is exactly what we're trying to do here, is pick something incredibly specific that we can talk about absolutely forever.
1: I just want to say specifically, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame being in Cleveland pisses me off as someone who is from Memphis, Tennessee. Oh shit, yeah. <laughs> it infuriates me to no end. Yeah,
2: you know, it's it's not the choice to put the museum there it doesn't have to do with the, the spiritual correct place to put it, obviously. It's whatever city lobbied for it, and you know, they really wanted it good for them they Looking had such a something. strong
1: pitch they <laughs> said there's nothing else here What? well yeah are you let them to have let them have the rock
0: hall. i mean cleveland hangs on to it so hard too where anytime there's something bad about cleveland it's immediately okay but the rock hall rock come ball. on now
2: yeah you know uh, and you know memphis they've got the giant bass pro pyramid yeah everyone's got something it, it evens out in the
1: what end else i think do is you the want. point of that <laughs> I'll tell you, the Bass Pro Pyramid is one of those things that, like, fries my fucking brain every time I think about it. That was where I went to concerts and watched, like, my first NBA basketball games, and then Uh it was empty, and probably empty was better because it was empty for years. And then it's just like a monument, right? Like it's just like a, a, you know, something to to look at and be like, that's something in Memphis. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Memphis is a city in Egypt and uh, they, oh, look, the, <laughs> the, the, the American one also has a pyramid. That's fun. It's like, yeah. but then we kind of embarrassed ourselves. We were going to turn it into a casino, but it was very, it's very religious in the South in case you were unaware. So they said, <laughs> fuck that, no casino. And they said, okay, good. We'll do the giant Bass Pro Shop that will embarrass everyone who leaves. This town,
2: just brand it with the most fucking American, stupid consumerist. Yeah, it's good work. World's good work. largest
1: <laughs> uh, freestanding
2: elevator, though.
0: I mean, I feel like it was incredibly on brand, but also like you had so many options here. Did is this really what you want to stick with? It's
2: what we chose. Bass Pro is, is just such a such a funny choice too.
1: It's hilarious. They built a whole hotel in there, and they have balconies. To look out not onto like the Mississippi River but indoors into the Bass Pro Shop your balcony in your hotel room <laughs> looks above the sales floor of the Bass Pro Shop
0: this is who made that design choice. I know very little about this. I know it's a thing because every time someone mentions that there's a pyramid called that's the Bass Pro Shop pyramid, I have to remember that exists. And that was the extent of my knowledge here.
2: <laughs> well, as, as when kind of acknowledged it, it had existed prior to that, uh, you know, obviously the branding, of, like it made it made sense as whatever. It, it was like a venue, right? Yeah, before it
1: was a sports and music venue, but it like they didn't put a ceiling on it. Right. They didn't like level it off at a certain point. So all the sound just was bouncing off the walls of a pyramid and it sounded like absolute shit. So instead of just like (laughs) putting like a, a roof on it or something to like actually make this sound good, everyone was just like, fuck it, let's build a better stadium down the street and they did, the FedEx <laughs> Forum. It's it's a great venue, but then we just had this giant pyramid that we didn't know what to do. It was like it was a gift from the French, and we just kept it there. Like, there it is. It's too heavy. Yeah. <laughs> I can't move
0: it. God, so many unexpected choices throughout this. <laughs>
1: we already named the city. We can't tear it down.
0: Well, I feel like we obviously could do this entire show on the Bass Pro Shop pyramid, <laughs> But uh, but Joe, you had another topic for us today. What did you want to talk about today?
2: Yeah, so I, you know, my podcast is about how I have like a weird obsession and fascination with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But really, if you had asked me as a kid and through a lot of my life, what is the thing I know the most about? It would be The Simpsons
0: that I mean it's a fantastic subject it's one that all of us I, I was gonna say grow up with but I was not allowed to watch it as a kid I was one of those that was banned didn't get to start watching it until I was 14 and then thankfully it was played roughly 4,000 times a day so I got to watch because this was before streaming of course so I just had to tape these and watch as many as possible to get caught up over like 20 years of Simpsons history
2: yeah I, no matter where you lived it felt like Simpsons was on at 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. Uh, syndicated and then that- and likely maybe even somewhere else like you could watch a reruns of the simpsons and it's one of the great rerun shows because those episodes are so densely packed with great jokes and easter eggs and like obviously it's just so funny and you can watch an episode again and, and appreciate it as much as you did the first time
0: it was so fantastic for that like the rewatchability of simpsons was incredible because it was one of those where you are absolutely going to catch something new each time and obviously that there's so much that's clever about it that the rewatches are is so like oh this this was, a, this was a really good joke. This was really tight. Yeah,
2: it's considered to be like the best show of all time for a reason, you know, and it it, it did maintain it did maintain its quality for a long time, although not forever.
1: We'll get into that, but like the amount of jokes packed in, the amount of jokes per minute, JPMs, which is if you yeah. are not in the comedy <laughs> business, that's how we measure JPMs is fucking insane i was watching some uh some like you know early season episodes before we recorded this and there were so many jokes where i was like that's so fucking good and like it I, like i had no memory of it but it was just like it was just like one of those blink and you miss it kind of things
2: yeah and i think i think it's important to establish the context of when the simpsons was having its heyday we're talking about like the early to mid 90s when shows did not have even close to the amount of jokes that that the Simpsons had. And I think it took television comedy a long time to finally get around to the level of jokes that the Simpsons was doing, both in the volume and like the kind of sophistication of the jokes. I feel like it it really wasn't until maybe 30 Rock that we got another show and like that's a good 15 plus years past when the Simpsons first debuted. And I just think it is, you you could maybe watch the Simpsons now having never watched it, watch a classic episode of the Simpsons and you'll find it funny. But I, if you had, if you didn't know that, like watch the other shit that was on TV in 1992 and it's, it's unbelievably bad. It's just everything's slow, or it's corny, or it's just, it's not. Modern comedy took so long to catch up to The Simpsons.
1: Yeah, watch watch a bunch of Just Shoot Me episodes, and then chase it with The Simpsons, (laughs) and you will see the difference in just how many jokes you could cram in to an episode of The Simpsons versus anything else
2: sure yeah and even like just shoot me is like that's a show from like the late 90s and so they've even got a little leg up on like whatever the competition was in the early 90s like you it's just you watch them like married with children and you're like
0: yeah (laughs) it's it's big competition was the cosby show when they moved it from sunday to to thursday and obviously now a lot of issues for other reasons but uh (laughs) at at the time very popular yeah and watch the cosby show I, i like you said obviously
2: there's other things that make it difficult to watch the Cosby show now, but watch a Cosby show episode and tell me how many times you laugh. Like you're not going to, like it wasn't, and it wasn't built for that, you know, in, in that show's defense and shows like that weren't built to be joke machines, but it's, it has virtually no jokes. I mean, like you, maybe some of the performances and situations are comedic, but like, it just, it was not built to be the Simpsons really created this language for how a sitcom could deliver jokes.
0: I think you're right. That's the big difference is that, that a lot of these, it, it was all situational. Comedy. This is how it existed. That this was there were, they weren't telling jokes. You had Full House at the same time. You had these jokes where it's oh, this is a there's a silly misunderstanding, and uh, we're going to get into the, the history of this too about how this came to be because obviously this is the longest running scripted show, the longest running animated show now, longest running comedy. I mean, this is it's just got everything. It's it's broken. It's
2: the longest running primetime show. It, it passed Gunsmoke recently, which is a feat. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. It's like over 700 episodes.
0: It's absolutely amazing that this existed, and then when it came out at, at the time, it did very controversial at the time as well but also it was just something that people hadn't done before and i mean when do you want to get into the history of this a little bit
1: yeah yeah i'll touch on some brief things and please feel free to make fun of or go on tangents about anything you guys <laughs> want while we go yeah, over we're gonna some to basic this a lot. history <laughs> right but yeah so the simpsons originally uh james l brooks who worked for tracy ullman uh, decided that during the Tracy Ullman show that they were going to add animated breaks before and after commercials to kind of pad out the episodes to pad out the the, the material a little bit. Uh, so he reached out to Matt Groening who had a, this comic called Life in Hell, uh, and they he, they were going to say, "Hey, would you like to do some hell, Life in Hell shorts? Uh, they'll appear before and after commercials." And he turned it down flat. He did not want to give up those characters. They meant a lot to him, and he wasn't going to do it.
0: That was really interesting, too, because it was it was a good offer. He was interested. It was just the response of, oh, but I have to give up all these rights to these mm-hmm. characters I've built over years and have a loyal following. And at this time, this was his huge thing, Life in Hell. I mean, it yeah. was a bold move to turn it down, and he did.
2: Matt Groening was also like, he kind of comes from the underground art world. Right? There's some level of like, I'm going to commercialize this thing that is meant to be like my dangerous little comic strip. Because Life in Hell... Was not in newspapers. It was more right. something that, yeah, you know, like it was an underground thing. Even though it like hit a level where it was so good, and like people liked its attitude and its, its sense of humor, that you know things like the book compilations and you know making. I think James L. Brooks had like a poster. He was gifted a poster of a Life and Hell thing, you know, with some of that Matt granny Rye humor in it that he really liked. But yeah, what I've, and from what I understand, the legend is that he took a meeting did didn't want to give away the bunnies, which those are the life and hell characters, and just kind of scribbled out these crude drawings of a family, named them after his own family, and pitched that at the meeting with, with James L. Brooks that was yeah like it came
0: up with it in the lobby
1: right I'm sure it's been mythologized a little bit I'm sure like he didn't actually like do it like on a napkin or something I'm sure he had like some idea yeah I think Matt Groening
2: is prone to trying to mythologize the history of this show
0: yeah which I don't blame him for but yeah there's a lot of drama behind the actual release and creation of this but still either way I mean to realize that look you've got another shot here you've got to come up with something and to put together the Simpsons is incredible
2: yeah it's well, it's also like he just came he came up with a family like right. there's so much so much about this simpsons we like has nothing to do with with the premise right? right it's the execution and like the premise is almost like yeah i guess it's a family with a, a son and a daughter and a baby
0: oh well, that's true because at the time it's like they didn't even have it established that lisa was gonna be the one in control and homer was out of control in fact they reversed that later on where they had homer be the reasonable one and and, and lisa uh start you know kind of flying off the handle so yeah at the time he really was just pitching the. Had- like what about a yellow family that maybe fights sometimes?
2: Yeah, it's 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 not that remarkable. If anything, the maybe most remarkable thing about it was it almost feels like outsider art because it's the the animation and the character design is so like grotesque, especially in those Tracy Ullman short era.
1: Well, yeah, that's another thing. He thought that they would clean it up, but the animators just kind of traced his doodles and then said, "This is this is it. Here's your show." Because he was the boss. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's like, well, <laughs> how how dare we clean up this guy? They, he was. They bought his idea.
0: Yeah, they, he sent it to this three-person animation team because obviously they've got a small budget. And yeah, these were his rough sketches. And then they. They actually traced it, but it's incredible. It's like, yeah, of course they're not going to mess with your drawing unless you tell them to mess with it. Then it came up with those very rough lines to start.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so they would then play uh, these Simpsons shorts during the Tracy Oldman show, and they'd be played live in front of the audience, uh, like as something kind of for them to do while they're setting up shots and everything. And the audience fucking loved, them. which is crazy because they're bad they're not they're not good like i i think i think at this point in time just the idea of of a cartoon saying hell was enough to just like blow someone's brain out their fucking ears like it was just unthought of at the time that a cartoon could have a bad attitude right Right. the way they would
2: eat would be really gross and it was like they uh, these characters were not very much not disney and they were they were a, almost realistic, almost grotesque. Uh, a family. So,
1: all right. I mean, when you think of the animation at the time, you got things like G.I. Joe and things like that, where it's all very stiff. And there is like, I mean, the animation is bad, but there's a fluidity to it too uh, that is yeah. that allows it to do more jokes. And it it got a good reaction. That they it got to the point where it got such a big reaction that David Silverman, uh, who worked at Fox, pitched the idea of making it a show, uh, drunkenly to Granning, And he, he said, yes, they, they ended up actually <laughs> making it a show for the Fox network, which was a fucking joke. Nothing was coming out of the Fox network at the time it was brand new. And this is going to be one of its flagship shows. And I believe it was the only Fox show to top the top 30 shows in the rankings. Uh, that first season. Yeah. Which is right. incredible. Yeah, because
2: a lot of uh, antennas didn't
1: get Fox. Like, it, right. was, it was that like
2: obscure of a channel that the people's TVs just didn't pick it up in certain areas. That's how new and like not established it was. Which right. is
0: insane that they pick up this show and then in its first season are already suddenly in the top 30. It was it was incredible. The reaction to this was insane.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't think it can be understated also the fact that they had, you know, we talked about James L. Brooks. He was a golden god at this time. Like yeah. he had Academy Awards. He could do whatever he wanted Uh, And so he was able to strike quite a deal with the Simpsons basically being like, we're never going to take notes. You're going to let us do what we want. And they had to say, yeah, because he's the fucking king of Hollywood at the time.
0: Which is like the dream for any creator to go in and be like, okay, so the entire company behind this is going to have no influence over what I create. It's insane. I mean, it's what everyone wants and nobody gets.
1: I mean, what they wanted to do was three seven-minute shorts. Right. That's what they offered. They said, let's just do three seven-minute shorts. And they pretty much flatly said no, and we're not going to listen to anything you tell us. And Fox (laughs) said Okay. <laughs> and they just let them do
2: it. Right. It's like the perfect storm because Fox also needs content. And, you know, they had the Tracy Ullman show on Fox. So there was a little bit of it was in the family already and they, it was a proven thing. And so they could they could make this thing. And I think also the, the key, this is where the Simpsons starts to become the Simpsons right cuz if you watch those shorts you you see kind of the genesis of, of what it could be but they hire all these young interesting writers and it, specifically they get Sam Simon who is kind of the the showrunner at the beginning you know you've got Matt Grading who does not he does not know how to do tv like he is, right. he's he's a, he makes comics right but his like sensibility is in there and James Brooks who is going to shepherd it a little bit but also he's still making movies he has a ton of other shit to do and so they get this guy Sam Sam Simon, who had written for Taxi and had written, he was a sitcom veteran. And his approach wasn't to just hire a bunch of other sitcom veterans, but to hire young, interesting comedy writers. Pulled specifically from this legendary kind of zine, this comedy pamphlet called Army Man, which was created by George Meyer, who's the all-time legendary. There's like, Basically, two all-time legendary Simpsons writers. It's John Swartzwelder and it's George Meyer. Both like everyone says the smartest guys you'll ever meet have comedy brains where it feels like it was the their brain was put in backwards. Like they just operate on. Right. Example. <laughs> and George Meyer had written on SNL and he had written on Letterman, and he was just into like getting the funniest people he knew to write stupid little. Comedy things to put in this magazine that he would then distribute, like via mail to whoever, and it gained notoriety. And then a lot of the people that wrote for that thing were hired to be that first Simpsons writing staff.
1: God, I'm so. I just gotta say it. I love it when I have a guest that knows way more than I do on everything. It's just <laughs> fucking fantastic. I love it. Uh, but yeah, no. It was, so it premiered in 1989 uh, in December. With the episode, Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire. The Christmas special,
2: yeah. And, you know, that's not the pilot, even though that's the first episode. The first episode that they produced was ended up being the last one of the first season called Some Enchanted Evening. And the pilot they produced, and they on the, on the DVDs of the first season, you can see the initial, like, stab at it. It looks like shit, and they all pretty much thought that this is, we're toast. We tried to do a TV show. We don't know what we're doing. The animation looks terrible nothing is is clicking nothing is working we are we're not
1: going to be able to premiere this show
2: and I think that's why it did not premiere in September
1: it actually is it was supposed to premiere in the fall so they pushed it into the Christmas special instead in December to allow more time to clean up the animation which was yeah.
2: incredibly
1: shitty at the time yeah and so and then they got very lucky because
2: that Christmas episode is is a classic and that was a great I think that was a great one to to start
1: off with yeah especially bring in santa's little helper like that i mean come on oh so cute but yeah those
2: the the first season and really the first two you could maybe argue three seasons are you know not the joke machine show yet no no first two seasons are fine they're fine and you know they've got good stories and I, I think the, the, the writing is good, if not like crazy, crazy funny in the way we think of classic Simpsons. But, you know, the, uh, yeah, the, the stories are good. The, the characters are good. And, you know, it's, it's finding its footing. But that first season was a phenomenon. Like, uh, you know, and it, like, like you said, the ratings were top 10. The Bart as a character, as an attitude, as this underachiever and proud of it, like swept the nation. And the shirts were banned from schools. Right.
1: Andrew was banned
2: from watching it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Simpsons very early got this reputation that scared America that it was like going to corrupt your children. And I'm very lucky to come from a household that did not believe in that. And I don't remember life without the Simpsons because I, I watched it with my, with my dad. I remember like watching it when I was like three years old. And like, I never remember not watching,
0: you know, it. it's interesting because I didn't come from a, a super strict household. I, I, I mean, there were a couple of things I, I couldn't watch, but generally it was one of those we'll watch it and see if it's appropriate. And you know, a little stricter than some, but this was one where it had such a big reputation that I don't think they even checked. It was just, no, The Simpsons isn't for kids. And part of this response was what a terrible role model Bart was. And th- there seemed to be such confusion like, yeah, he's not supposed to be a role model. <laughs> that, that's okay to have a character that's bad. That's, you know, this is a, a realistic, I mean, it's an extreme example, but I remember Brooks saying, there are kids that are bad students. There are kids that are like this. And you meet very few role models in real life. Why should everyone on TV be a role model?
2: Yeah, for sure. And I, you know and I, I had parents who didn't let me watch stuff who said I couldn't watch MTV who said Ren and Stimpy was off limits, but they were discerning enough or maybe they just didn't know. But like the Simpsons was always on in the house and it was just always just a part of our life.
1: I think it's just the fact that Ren and Stimpy is so off putting. Like it's it's yeah. like gross. I think yeah. that's yeah. like, like people saw it and they're like, that's fucking they're like, it's, it's gross. It, it just it's looks gross.
0: Clearly,
2: obviously gross for like if you watch one frame of it. You're like, I don't want my kids looking at this.
0: Yeah. And I, <laughs> I feel like that that was what something The Simpsons did, where it was so boundary-crossing, and the idea that animated shows could be for adults was not really a thing. I mean, now it's just commonplace, but at the time, the idea of shows that are appealing to uh, to teenagers or older, I mean, I, I feel like some tried to push boundaries by just being gross, because they couldn't do what The Simpsons did. Yes. So it was like, what if we just have it be adult, and that it's not appropriate for kids because of this?
2: Yeah, and there was a very, there was a very weird trend right after The Simpsons came out, where every network wanted a primetime cartoon. And it was that thing of, like, they didn't get why The Simpsons worked. They were just like, we need a cartoon on at primetime, so we are going <laughs> any to... Any cartoon. Does it? Yeah, any cartoon, and we are going to greenlight a show called Fish Police. We are going <laughs> to put it on primetime network television, on CBS, and I've seen the pilot of Fish Police. It is the, one of the most boring things I've ever seen, and it has... <laughs> (laughs) It it doesn't, it it just feels like something that should, it feels both like something that should be on Saturday morning because they didn't attempt to make it compelling or interesting, but they also didn't, it doesn't have anything funny in it, so it's not for kids.
0: Right.
1: It was a Hanna-Barbera. It was like, it was that. It was like Hanna Barbera. The people that do just like you know, like oh, it's the it's the grape gorilla. It's like it's that. Yeah. It's his those grape guys. ape when his grape ape grape ape grape ape. Uh, sorry. Yeah,
2: <laughs> god damn. But, yeah, no, it's a noir. Fish Police is a noir, and it's also just yeah. It's a Hanna Barbera. You're, you're exactly right. It, it has nothing about it that is mature enough for primetime. They just put a cartoon in primetime. They also they, Cap, Capital Critters was another
1: one. It was about mice that lived under the White House or something. It was it. Was what a time. What it was absolute time. <laughs> absolutely wild. I remember Simpsons would come on for like an hour block at like five o'clock every day. And I was uh-huh. so obsessed. Like my day revolved around Simpsons is at five o'clock. And me uh-huh. and my older brother and like eventually my younger brother would stop whatever we were doing. If we were at a friend's house, we'd be like, yeah. hey, guys, it's five o'clock. We got it. it's Simpson. It's Simpsons time. And like whenever like they'd hit us with like the my parents don't let us watch that. I would immediately just go in my head, like just like cross them off the list. I'm not leave. staying yeah. over here on a weekday it's, yeah, ever it's not again. A place for me, I it got to the point it it was almost an addiction at one point because there's one year where like my brother got like a handheld television, like with the giant antenna and everything, and like the three inch screen, <laughs> yeah. and right. I would steal yeah. that and bring it to like family dinners and stuff, and hide in the bathroom so I could watch <laughs> The Simpsons. It was it was a real problem but I haven't like probably not an encyclopedic knowledge, but like the same thing that any probably comedian has where like they have bits just that they could take out at a moment's notice from ten years worth of Simpsons content, <laughs> yeah,
2: and like the way you talk is like I, the way I talk. Like I don't even know, like just things, phrases. They're just like deep in there that I don't even know they're from. Like my instincts, like the way I write the, the jokes that I come up with, that all that language I know comes from the Simpsons. Even if I can't pinpoint a specific thing, that was just that was my education, like through osmosis. Even just just uh, completely immersed in it. Like you said, like I I would I would watch it all the time too. I I I just and when I would get the DVDs when that started happening, holy shit. It would be I would watch all of them immediately and then watch all of them with commentary. And then maybe do that a few more times.
1: Right. <laughs> I don't think there's a comedian that does not have like a deep Love of The Simpsons. Oh yeah,
0: I've never heard a comedian say no. No, Simpsons wasn't for me. It's you know every comedian's like no. This in some way influenced you. Th- this got you into the game somehow. Because if you're a good comedian, I I think I I think pretty much everybody, but especially comedians, can look at it and-, and see there's something here. There's just such detail in the jokes. You know everything has this depth to it, and they managed to hit it so well over and over again that it's one of those where it's like okay, I just need to I just need to replay that ten times so I can understand how they came up with that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Right. It's, and I I think there's there's a lot of layers to it. I think the Simpsons gets a lot of credit for the its reference level, its high reference level, which is true. I don't think that's necessarily what makes it funny though. That maybe makes it layered. But like I think there's a subtlety to the Simpsons and to the classic Simpsons specifically that doesn't get enough credit, but is is so much a part of it. And it's and I think so much a part of watching it now versus when I watched it when I was a kid is that like when you're a kid you like some of the bigger moments, the sillier jokes, and when you watch it as adult you're like there's like a lot of like subtlety to some of these lines that aren't obvious jokes but they they're really well played and it's like everything i also think the animation is very well directed i don't think that gets enough credit Obviously, the writing is great. The delivery is is incredible. And then the the way it's animated, like it all really fits together very nicely.
1: I completely agree. And before we go into what is the whole premise of this show, I just got to ask, we're talking about the Golden Age, what's some favorites Uh, that, you know, if somebody yeah. is listening to this and they're just like, I want to know about The Simpsons. I want to learn what The Simpsons is. Uh-huh. What What's the episode or two that you suggest? You know, I have,
2: I actually have, diff- maybe I have different episodes for, for those two questions that I think are actually different, like what are my favorites versus what would I show someone to like get them into the show? Because like, yeah, and I, I actually I, I heard overheard this as I was logging on, but like Cape Fear from season five is obviously one of the Simpsons episodes, but it's a sideshow Bob appearance and it's not his first one. And I think to show that episode to someone who didn't know the Simpsons would maybe be a little confusing. Just I think they would still probably find it to be funny, but I don't think it's representative of what the show is. Right. Right. Because it, you have to kind of come into it with a little bit of the mythology or at the very least Know who the characters are and things like that, right. so that you're when you disrupt it with a character like Sideshow Bob, and you do you take them out of Springfield. There's just like a lot going on with that episode that I wouldn't that wouldn't be my introduction. I think maybe pound for pound, the funniest episode with the most jokes is Lemon of Troy, which is where they go to Shelbyville. I love that episode. That might be another one that like again you t- you're taking them out of a Springfield. So I don't know if that's what you show to the, a person. Who hasn't seen it? Although I think you could, just because again, I think the jokes in that one are so so funny. I remember I was trying to show someone what the Simpsons what they hadn't really seen it, and I was trying to give them a bit of an education, and I there I was almost overwhelmed because I was like, where where do you even begin? My favorite seasons are seven and eight. I just think there's a, there's a synthesis of really good stories about, about the family specifically, a good amount of heart without sacrificing any of, of the joke density. Yeah. Uh, so I would probably pick something from, from one of those seasons, but like what, like what is a good, you want like a good plot that's about the family. Right. Right.
1: So yeah. Cause I was going to say, cause if we're doing season eight, you could say the itchy and scratchy and poochie show, but that is like, so like you kind of have it's to meta. have a base knowledge of like, uh, you Know it's meta, it's meta. You have to know itchy and scratchy, you have to have that understanding. So, yeah, that might be too meta. I'm trying to think of seven and eight off the top of my head. Yeah,
2: maybe want to. I mean, maybe just to get something a little more basic where they're not going to meta, you maybe want to go season four with like Homer's Triple Bypass, uh, which is like I think a, a good standard episode that does it's kind of about the family and it's about Homer. You know, people talk about Last Exit to Springfield, which is also season four, as being like like one of the great episodes that's, you know, Lisa needs braces.
1: It's hard to know like that perfect intro episode.
2: So maybe, maybe the question, the best question to answer is like, what are, what are my favorites? And, and you know, what is the,
1: your favorite? Yeah. Hit us with, hit us with a few favorites. Lemon, lemon of, it's like lemon of Troy. Lemon of Troy, of Troy is, is my favorite
2: Cape fear. And maybe it's not the funniest episode, but I really like the story. Uh It's called, the episode's called Lisa, the iconoclast. And it's about how Jebediah Springfield is not who he says he was. And the legend is, And the myth of him has continued, and the kind of value of letting a myth like that happen when it's mostly uh, harmless. Even though it's completely wrong, I think that's like a really for a sitcom that's like a very
0: sophisticated thesis.
1: I definitely love that episode. That was
0: top three for me. It was fantastic.
1: Yeah, you got the word biggins comes from it's a it. Perfectly cromulent word. Yeah, it's a perfectly cromulent word. That's just like completely sunk into every comedian's brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a that's a big moment.
0: Uh, yeah, one that that enough that occasionally I forget that this is made up to be a word that is not real because it feels it it was just such a perfect choice word. It. it feels so fitting. Yeah,
2: it's it's smart. It's a, it's a very It's a very very smart joke. Bart on the road is also another one that like I I, I go back to that I think is a lot of fun.
1: That's the one with the sun sphere, right? Yeah, they go to Knoxville. fantastic i i'm a big fan of you only move twice which is the james bond parody yeah. with hank
2: scorpio that's an excellent absolutely excellent one and you've got the the albert brooks you know who used to who periodically is a guest actor and he he can really elevate an already great episode with his like insane uh because he would improvise a lot and i think he he oh
1: he he improvised the entire uh the hammock district conversation was uh-huh, yeah. was an, was oh, an improvisation yeah
2: that's a guy who just, he's on the same wavelength as The Simpsons, so you, you get him in there. And you know, I think he's like the villain in The Simpsons movie, which I think was a, a great choice just because he's the he's the all-time
0: uh, guest actor. And Andrew, what, what's a favorite? Like, the city of New York versus Homer. It oh, was yes. absolutely a favorite. It, it was so good. And seeing them out of, of Springfield, too, was always interesting. But yeah, just one that I, that I could not get enough of. The one that you watch over and over again. I absolutely loved it.
1: So we, we love it. Classic Simpsons. It's the best. We can all name jokes from episodes just off the top of our heads so joe where did it go wrong okay so
2: i have like i think a very detailed answer for what i think they they did wrong
0: that is exactly what the show is about that's perfect the simpsons (laughs) had
2: kind of established especially in the classic era you have two years as a showrunner then you leave then someone else takes over the first two years it was sam simon and and to some extent Groening and, and james l brooks and then in season three and four it was al Jean and mike reese and then in five and six it was a guy named david merkin seven and eight it was bill oakley and josh weinstein and then starting on the ninth season you get mike scully now mike scully you go ninth and tenth and then based on the way it kind of this wasn't a rule this was just kind of how the simpsons had operated and you know i know bill oakley and josh weinstein have said like that was kind of established when they got there and they just thought like that's the right move
1: it's like how presidents used to work <laughs> yeah. right? it was just like it's an honor system we never expected yeah, an someone to
2: run for a third term you're right it's an honor system but what happens is and i think this kind of coincides with it you have the ninth and tenth seasons which i think are are good you know they're they're different from seven and eight and then around the time when mike scully who, by the way, I should say is a very talented writer. uh, And I think his years uh, shepherding the show are quite good. And I, I like him a lot, both as a writer and I like him personally. But he stays on for 11 and 12. He ends up doing four. And then I think where it really goes wrong instead of getting, when Mike leaves, instead of getting fresh blood, because that's also, you have to remember the Simpsons writers, I think one of the things that made that show so vital and interesting is the writers were like in their 20s and 30s. They were like young, fresh voices who had something to say, that, and it was different from the other shows because of that reason. You don't have all these like veteran sitcom writers around. Al Jean comes back in season 13 to be the showrunner, and he has been the showrunner ever since. And I think that is a where it went wrong. Because The Simpsons, I think, and it's obviously a difficult task to keep that show going for as long it's difficult to to maintain, to sustain. But I think the idea of bringing back someone who, you know, had been the showrunner 10 years prior and then to only have him running the show for the next 20 plus years it's going to get stale and you're going to wind up and i don't want to be ageist you're going to wind up with a guy in his 60s who's the showrunner and that's my answer
1: that's that's (laughs) a fantastic answer and I I feel like it's well thought out because I feel like a lot of people just like put a delineation point of 10 and then it's bad and like they don't kind of go into it further. Some people blame Futurama. Uh, Some people are just like, oh, Futurama plundered all the good writers and they'll put it on that. I mean, similar
2: to my theory, I think David Cohen, who created Futurama, probably could have been next in line to be a showrunner. He was like a star writer having written, he wrote Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie. He's, he's written a lot of great episodes, and I think they really, obviously, Graining liked him, and a lot of the people there liked him. But I, I think you have to, you could keep the show relevant, and you can keep the show funny, by bringing in people or like uh, promoting the younger writers to the top and then right. letting them do their thing with it for 2 years and then you keep you keep going but if you look at the the contemporary Simpsons writers room it's a lot of old dudes it's like al jeans buddies And it's a lot of like the writers that, you know, weren't even, there's not even like the, the regular, the like original writing staff. A lot of them are consultants, but you get a lot of people who maybe was, they were friends with all those guys, but didn't get to write on it in the classic era. And now they are just getting a really nice paycheck now. And I don't mean to, uh, you know, uh, I don't, I don't know this. I'm kind of hypothesizing here, but anyway, old men.
0: (laughs) But you know, I, I, I think that's a really good point. That's something we've talked about before is, you know, I mean, I haven't even been doing comedy that long, but my writing is different than it was three years ago. Thankfully, it's gotten better too, but Uh there are also things I could write now uh, that I couldn't write then and and vice versa. There are things that I'm no longer suited for. My voice is different and The Simpsons was so good because they had that turnover. They kept bringing in new voices who understood the show, who were were young, who did have a perspective on the type of things that The Simpsons would be covering. And I think that's what's so important about the age aspect was that they're tied in to what needs to be discussed right now and how it should be talked about. And that's a lot harder to do when you've got people writing in a different generation.
2: Yeah, and also writers who are hungry and who really yes. want to do this. And not saying that the writers for The Simpsons now don't exactly want to do it, but I think there's they're operating at a different speed. I, you know, I, I, I don't think you can write for a show for 20 years and still have the same zest that you would have right. in the beginning. Yeah, or because at possibly- a certain point
1: it becomes Mad Libs for you, I'm sure. You know, you, it's a job. you know you know the rhythms you know the rhythms of it so well that there's no reason to kind of reinvent the wheel there's no reason to innovate there's just like here, here it is Mr. Byrne says this here uh, Lenny and Carl will make an appearance at this point and then you just kind of move on to the next thing I, I definitely think that if you don't have a hungry writer in there you can get in your motions in your ways say oh we got Lady Gaga coming in so let's just have her do a fun meat dress thing and call it a day yeah. and you want to you know no, and I, i'm not i think there's you need to have an
2: appropriate work life balance but i think about you know bill oakley and josh weinstein who were in their 20s when they were showrunners they cared so much about that show being funny to the point where like sometimes it would be like all right this th- these jokes aren't good enough or this episode's not where it needs to be we need to stay late we need to figure this out whereas i get the sense when you're a little bit older, you're just kind of like, all right, it's fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. By the way, being a showrunner in your twenties is insane. (laughs) Like, I mean,
2: it's out of, it's out of control and that can never happen incredible, Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I I mean that, that uh, plus the number of careers launched from that writer's room was something that made people want to earn their spot there because you knew what could come afterwards if you did well. And, and yeah, at a certain point, I mean, yeah. When do you just decide this, this joke is good enough and, and Good enough is an easy thing to get to when you've been writing the same kind of thing for twenty years.
2: Yeah, have you guys watched uh, recent episodes? Not yes, as often as I and I was actually I going to, to save
1: that for the for the in their defense portion. Oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. We, yeah, we can put. It I'll get into that for sure, but I definitely kind of want to just because I I think that's a really interesting point that you're saying about the kind of how the two years president system that they had. You know, you, you get two terms and then you're out. You know, it was an honor system. And yeah, Al Jean has been running that show for years. For for so many years. More than half the show's runtime at this point he's been running about two he's been running two-thirds of the entire history of the simpsons i mean i remember the 300th episode was a big deal and it was uh like homer going against tony hawk in a skateboard competition <laughs> right
2: is, is green days there or right I th- I, anyway I, or blink 182 or like one of those bands was was there
1: I, I forget i know green day was in the
2: movie and like that was a- maybe that Green Day's in the movie maybe blink is at the uh blink makes more sense to be at the skate park with tony hawk and uh, also
0: realizing, too, that with the structure they'd had before, this is the same thing Caesar did. <laughs> like <laughs> when you go from switching off every two years to, you know what, I'm going to do this for 20. You yeah, people get tired of it. That uh-huh. You know, not the stabbing was a bit of an overreaction, but people get tired <laughs> of it. And, and there's a response. Um,
2: you know, sometimes people pinpoint that the show went south at the Armin Tamzarian episode. Principal in so the familiar, Popper, yes. Is, yeah. Principal in the Popper from early season nine. And. And it's where you find out that Seymour Skinner is not who he says he is. And I got to say, I just rewatched that episode.
1: It's great. It's It's a fantastic episode. Thank you so much. I've gotten into arguments about where I'm like, have you watched the episode? It's hilarious. It's classic Simpsons joke density.
2: Also, like people get hung up on the idea that like it's a retconning shit and like the canon is is messed up or whatever. And like how is it any more absurd than like Homer going to fucking space? Like at the end of the episode, you the base. And then after the episode, you kind of never talk about it again. And also people were like this, this, ah, this plot is crazy. And then the most decorated drama of our lifetime, Mad Men. (laughs) That is basically... They stole it! The main character's (laughs) whole fucking thing.
1: Literally, my wife told me about that in Mad Men when she was, like, saying, like, oh, there was this, like, she was trying to tell me it, like, like, there was this big thing and, like, how important it was. I was listening to the whole time just like, that's a plot from The Simpsons. The (laughs) Simpsons did that. And, 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 you know, obviously, that's, like,
2: the, the imposter thing is a trope that it goes back into literature and stuff. But I just think it's so interesting that it's so it was celebrated in Mad Men. And then some people tried to use that as the moment that the Simpsons went south. I don't believe that for a fucking second.
1: I completely agree. The fact that his mother doesn't care at the end is just like one of those fantastic jokes. It's great.
0: And I I think what was so strange about that is that this didn't mark Like a turning point or anything. It's not like they suddenly switched the style. If you didn't like that episode, there is no reason for this to be anything other than a disliked episode. This didn't change the show other than the fact that you felt like the timeline had been messed with. And it was like, okay, but this, everything's still the same. Stuff is still just as good.
2: The people who try to act like it's a demarcation in time will maybe point to the fact that it is an early season nine episode. And like those first eight seasons are, are considered to be like the, the holy ground, but people don't know is that episode was produced as part of season eight and was a holdover episode that they aired at the beginning of season nine. Really? So that completely it nullifies that entire argument. Because that's the, the way animation works with The Simpsons is like they produce, the way they produce episodes, you know, they have to do it so far in advance that a lot of the time the first few episodes or scattered throughout the beginning of a season will have been produced for and with the writing staff and production staff of the previous season. I,
0: I had no idea. <laughs> so, because yeah, I think people do want to mark that as a oh, we can see it happen right here. And I I don't think that was ever the case. Though I did have a friend who had an interesting thought about where it really shifted. And he had mentioned in season 10 when Phil Hartman died.
2: I think that's a that's a very valid point, and that's one that I've always thought about. Yeah,
0: his his level of contribution. I mean, he was their most frequent guest star uh, at at this time, and and he just added so much to it every single time he was there. That I think the idea of okay, there are all of these characters we have to lose now that we can't have again. That was a big hit.
1: I think Troy McClure and Lionel Hutz are some of those great bench characters that like never failed to like to carry a segment of an episode. Yes, they they are hitting home runs every time.
2: I've also thought about there are tertiary characters that come from guest stars like the Phil Hartman ones and how over the years, you know, for the sake of The Simpsons, like none of the cast members have have passed away, which is like what a a lucky break, especially when you have a show that's 32 plus seasons. But you look at like Troy McClure passed away. Around that time, maybe even before, a woman named Doris Grau, who voiced Lunch Lady Doris, passed away. You have Alex Rocco, who did Roger Myers Jr., the creator of Itch and Scratchy. He passed away. You have I think a guy's name Ron Taylor, who did Bleeding Gums Murphy. He passed away. You have Marsha Wallace, who did Grabopel. She passed away. So even though the core family and Harry Shearer and Hank Azaria have been... Russy Taylor recently passed away, and she did Martin Prince. Uh, You it, you weirdly, like, almost everyone outside of the core five or so... What is it? It's like Dan Dan Castellaneta, Julie Kavner, Yardley Smith, uh, Nancy Cartwright, Hank Azaria, Harry Shearer. Pretty much everybody... Almost, so many actors
1: outside of that
2: core group have passed away throughout the run of the show. I just always thought that was interesting. I
1: definitely agree. I think Marshall Wallace is one of those ones that really hit me when I read it too. Cause I was just like, Miss Krabat, like Miss Krabat, like that was one that, that definitely hit me. I'm, i they paid a really nice tribute to her in a, in a later episode too. Uh, but, because man Ned Flanders has had a rough go Get, getting the screws to him yeah because and like and the woman who, who Maggie
2: Roswell who did uh, Maud Flanders she didn't die but she just there was like a dispute and I think she lives in New Mexico or something and she just they they couldn't come to an agreement so they killed off her character and so and then as we know famously they killed off Flanders and one of the few like canonical, episodes of The Simpsons. And then l- much later, they put Ned Flanders with Grabopel, and then they had to uh, lose that character as well. You know, kind of a kind of a Job biblical story yeah. that's getting <laughs> yeah. a character like Ned Flanders. Well,
0: and I, I think the choice too to respect that these these actors were these characters like, I mean, obviously, we've had new actors doing Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse and plenty of other um, animated characters over and over again, that the torch is going to be passed when you're having a character for 80 years. And uh, Simpson's done this more than 30 now and has basically said, no, if if, they, if we lose a character, the character's not coming back. And I don't know if that's going to be the same when it's the main team.
1: I believe they have recast Martin. And, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and they are bringing in uh, Michael Richardson to voice Dr. Hibbert, I believe.
0: Yeah. I think that makes sense just from the fact that. Eventually, we're probably going to lose a main cast member. I don't want to believe it, but so far that's the way death has worked. <laughs>
1: I think. I think if that happens, though, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you can continue after the loss of a main cast member for The Simpsons.
0: I
2: think on on a spiritual level, like the right thing to do at that point is to end the show.
0: Agree. I would agree. It's yeah. I mean i I was watching I was watching Brock Meyer, uh, Hank Azaria's show, uh-huh. which I love so much. <laughs> and and it was one of those things where you you get to see the depth that he adds to these characters um, because you're you're looking at him perform this now and every time i see one of these uh especially hank because he, he did so much more recently but you see how much of of it's not just the voice the creation is in them they're making the character this very specific thing and yeah i, I don't know how you get that back with somebody else i
2: don't think and especially when you think about the like entirety of the town is Dan Castellaneta, Hank Azaria, and Harry Shearer. Right. And like, <laughs> sometimes I will hear like uh, Harry Shearer is doing like a voice on something uh, like they uh, like in a movie, he's on the radio, right? And they've hired Harry Shearer. And it just immediately is like, that's not a Simpsons voice, but that's a Simpsons voice. Yeah, that right. Is, that's just a voice I've heard <laughs> so many times. It's not, you know, Lenny or it's not Dr. Hibbert, but or Skinner, but like it's, it's, I've heard this just because it's like one of, one of the like standard guy voices voices that he uses and that that the feel of of the Simpsons comes from those voices so strongly
1: completely agreed though Harry Shearer has literally been phoning it in for the past few years now I think almost a decade he's actually been phoning in his performance, which and I mean,
2: there've been a there've been a few uh, disputes, very public ones about that, and it got kind of ugly too. Very much so. He, it, it, it was on Twitter. It played out on Twitter where Harry Shearer was like, "Well, we couldn't come to agreement, and I'm not going to do the Simpsons anymore." And then Al Jean, listen, I have my opinion, but he was like, <laughs> uh, he was like, "Well, I guess we'll have to start hiring someone else." And then James L. Brooks was like, "Harry, please pick up your phone." It's just like all this shit, and obviously they figured it out, but. Like, like god damn i remember when there because there's always been contract disputes because you know those actors should be paid a lot of money i get it but you know there's no precedent for like how much do you get paid if you've been doing voiceover on a cartoon for 30 years right I, I, there was <laughs> one point where it was like they didn't come to an agreement so they're all fired and like fox was starting to hold auditions which feels a little bit like okay they're just they're playing chicken here like to see it right. to, to get the cast member to come around and so they they've been their salaries have gone up and down because also like network tv doesn't really have the budget that it used to and like do you need to make <laughs> do you need to make a million dollars an episode probably not <laughs> but like they've taken a pay cut uh recently but it, that stuff is always interesting the way it plays out and harry shearer also like does not like the idea that he can't play uh characters of color i know hank azari is more amenable to the situation but i think yeah harry very much been, so. he's been yeah,
0: kind of I, 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 I liked Hank Azaria's response to it where he, he said, you know, basically we're, we're either going to not do the character or have me not do the character. You know, uh-huh. we're, we're, there's a there's a turns out there's a right way to do this. Let's do it the right way. Yeah. And uh, I, I really liked that response to it.
2: I, yeah, I thought that was it was very compassionate. And it's just it's funny about that whole thing. It's like the core problem is a show like this was not supposed to be around for this. <laughs> no, that's not what at all. it's about. Because like there was there's there's problematic stuff. From the 90s? Sure. For sure. All over. it. But like that show, those shows aren't still on the air. No. So like you have to, you if you're changing with the times, you do have to change. Even if it's like the fabric of your show, like that, maybe it was okay at one point. And I've been really disappointed with the top people, whether it's Matt Groening or Al Jean, the way that they have initially responded to that right. criticism. Yeah. I thought it was really important. I
1: thought them having Lisa kind of defend it, I thought it was one of those things where like, Like, what a betrayal to have Lisa be the character to deliver your, oh, this is fine dialogue to your audience. Some people just, they want to be offended about anything. And it's like,
0: how (laughs) dare you do that? Have you watched the show? Have you seen what this character is and what she stands for? (laughs) Have
1: you seen Lisa? What Lisa would say?
0: Come on. Yeah. Awful. and. I, yeah, I think the response was it just especially because the show was so groundbreaking. This show was treading new ground. How do you not want to be the first one in here to say, oh, guys, the world is changing again, as it always does. Let's get in on this. Let's let's be leading the way here like we did. Because
1: changing is a young man's
2: game, Andrew. Yeah, maybe this yeah. goes back to my theory <laughs> about about the writers and their ages and how long they've been around, and I don't know, maybe if, uh, if we had a new... Yeah. Game.
1: <laughs> well, that brings us full circle on the theory, so I guess... Now, we usually give uh, guests first crack at it. Do you want to take a stab? Yeah, I'll take a stab. The Simpsons is for kids. And (laughs) we liked The Simpsons
2: when we were kids. And it's different now. And we want it to be the way that it once was. But we're not kids anymore. And The Simpsons is still on the air because it gets good ratings. Bottom line, it makes money for Fox. And it gets good ratings because people watch it. And I think a lot of those people are kids. I'll be honest. When I was in high school and we were talking about like seasons 13, 14, 15, 16. I think that was my first Four years in high school, I vehemently defended the Simpsons, saying it's still good. It's no, you think it's you think it went bad? Everyone's saying it went bad. It's still good. I've gone back and watched those episodes, and the, I was wrong. I, the, those, <laughs> those episodes, there's maybe a bright spot here and there, but really, those episodes are, are not class. They're not at the level of the classic era. And I think there is potentially kids like me who are watching the Simpsons, and they're enjoying it. And for that alone, I think it's worth the Simpsons being on the air. And also at this fucking point, they are breaking so many records. I'm just like, go for the gold, man. Yeah. Who gives a shit? Like I won't be on the air for 40 years. Like do something insane and, and break <laughs> records that no one will ever get close to. And if it's the Simpsons, what I think is the best show of all time that gets to also have those records at this point. Yeah. Run out the fucking clock. Do, do whatever you can <laughs> just make it, make it happen. Get all the, on all the, the uh you know record lists guinness whatever i want the simpsons all over there i don't want some fucking show i hated to be up there it i want the show right. i loved and so at this point we're just we're just breaking records and like whatever the show is whatever
1: it's for kids but like have at
0: it i think that's fantastic
1: i love it <laughs> okay i i will do my best next uh it, to this i'll say i am Going to be biased with my love of The Simpsons, whenever I have gone to like Florida, to like Orlando, to Universal Studios, I have forced people to sit with me and drink Duff beer at the little Duff pavilion that they have. <laughs> I am I am a true fan. And yes, The Simpsons has declined in quality. However... I will say if you watch modern Simpsons now, not it's not that it's not as good as a whole, but there are like three to four episodes in these past few seasons that I would, I could slot them into an early season, degrade the quality of the animation a little bit, and you would think, <laughs> you would think you were watching a classic Simpsons. Not the best. I'm not saying you're seeing a "You Only Move Twice." You're not seeing a Cape Fear, but you're seeing a good middle ground golden age simpsons episode if i take those and i slide them over interesting i i will say and i'll say uh Daniela weisberg uh uh, had a great episode that premiered this past season uh about comic book guy going to comic con it was fun it was good and you know sometimes great episodes can still happen and it's not the same you know every every shot i hit it's like vince carter like Vince Carter used to do wild dunks and he was like the most fun player on the court to watch. And then later in his career, he wasn't really that great. He was a bench roll guy. But then he'd go out there and he would just like Hail threes down like nobody's business, and you're like, Where did this guy come from? And then the next game, he'd be <laughs> bad again.
0: The Simpsons are Vince Carter, and that's how I'm going to say my <laughs> defense. You know, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think to, to Joe's point, the one show I, I hear talked about this, this same way is Saturday Night Live, where everyone seems to agree the best year was when they were 14, and it's terrible now that they're an adult and when we were 14 was always a different year (laughs) so it's incredible that everyone seems to agree this but think that they're the right one and it's yeah we we grew up and it it changed and I I think there are aspects of the show that that changed too but it's okay if something is not for me anymore but I think ultimately my defense is just that they've been doing this for 30 years I I can't imagine doing anything for 30 years and doing it as good as I did in those first few years that Uh is an insane standard you're creating something here and and creating something new new every week and just doing it over and over again and uh, to, to realize the fact that they still have creativity in them that they're still coming out with new stories you can just play reruns and we we would watch the reruns you know you can do that because
1: they're also boxing them in because they've already done all the episodes that they like they took yeah. <laughs> like there's these characters and you have to do plots with these characters and they've done yeah. 700 of them. Like, yeah, it's going to be hard to come up with the one that's going to really surprise people at this point. Yeah. Let them age. Let
0: yeah. Them age. <laughs> Actually, that would be very interesting. So
1: many more episode ideas. Wow. Just let them that's age. a really good Why thought. I'll, I'll say Holidays of Future Past, which is from season 23, yeah. is one of those episodes where I'm like, yeah, th- like it, it's an episode where they have an adult uh, Bart and Lisa. And it's one of those that I'm just like, yeah, you could slot that in there. And it, it's a it's a fantastic episode. I think
0: actually that's a really good idea. I I'd considered that, but I would definitely love to watch it if if they yeah just started growing up. Get them
2: yeah every just a little bit, and you know you would get new episode ideas from them turning into you know having new problems in the light of their lives changing. I don't know. In general, though, I just think like also the show can still turn around. I mean, I'm not holding my breath. Like writers. (laughs) They just got approved for two more
1: seasons.
0: Yeah. There's time. We can, we can get this done. On one hand, I want the writers to be listening to this episode. So they hire us. But on the other hand, please don't listen to this episode and get pissed and not hire us. We're going (laughs) to find a new way in here. This was a bad idea. (laughs) I worry about the things I've (laughs) said.
1: If if you regret any of us, let us know. We have a fantastic editor who can make it sound like praise.
0: (laughs) I mean, I think that pretty much covers everything. We got the history. We got how Simpsons came to be. We got what we loved about it, which was so much in our experiences growing up. And then where it went wrong was just the fact that they've been doing this for so long. (laughs) Stuff is going to happen. And there's a point where it went down. What do you think, guys? That seems like about it. I
1: feel great about it. (laughs) I think Joe is now regretting saying so much about Al Jean. I think. (laughs) (laughs) He looks like a man who just said, who just got like a text from his agent. that was like, hey, Al Jean's going to listen to your next podcast. I ruined my life. Listen, he's a, I'm sure, he's a fine
2: man uh, but you know retire big. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Joe Quizella, thank you so much for coming on yeah, we absolutely this appreciate was great. it
2: absolutely you know I probably haven't had a long conversation about the Simpsons in a while but as you guys can tell I have a ton of I'm like a Simpsons historian so you like, were ready to go
0: shit. this, was, this just was what we were this looking for this was
1: wonderful considering I'm usually the Simpsons historian and you just fucking blew me out of the water and I loved every second of
0: it <laughs> <laughs> absolutely it was an absolute pleasure Joe thank you so much thank you everyone for listening if you enjoyed the show please Please subscribe. Give us five stars. It helps us out so much. Please go listen to Joe's podcast. Who cares about the Rock Hall? You see how we can talk about this. He is at multiple episodes of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Go listen to all of them. It's fantastic. Uh, We've also got our Patreon down in the show notes. Please subscribe if you can. That helps us out. And we will see you again next week. I'll see you next week, Wen. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.